Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And tame, and tame again. Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Popmaster transfer news, pre-match sex noises on the BBC, excitedly explaining dramatic football matches to people who don't care, the autopilot piss-boiling of combined 11s, a surprisingly comprehensive discussion of centre circle culture, blowing the lid off the last five matches form graphic confusion, and the most lectured corner kick jostler in the Premier League. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés and your Mesut Harland Dicks. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 225 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me for the listeners, Mesut Harland Dix, first of all, is David Walker. How's it going? Very well, how are you? Yeah, not too bad at all actually. Alongside you for this one, for his 50th appearance on Football Clichés, Nick Miller. Well done. What a landmark that is. Oh well, I'm I'm kind of acknowledging the crowd but I recognise there's more work to be done. So yeah, thank you. But uh, I've got my got my sights set on a big bigger milestones than this. The look on Nick's face suggested, Dave, that he genuinely didn't know about this beforehand, and none of the lads in the dressing room told him about it. Did we mention it on a recent pod that he was on Forty Nine? Maybe that was just private chat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I can't remember it. I don't think so. Uh, but yeah, you're very welcome. But uh, alarming news reached us this week. Alarming transfer news, I suppose. Breaking news that Ken Bruce is leaving Radio 2 in March after 31 years of presenting the mid-morning weekday show, the BBC has announced. Um, Dave, at first glance, a lot of people thought this was bad news for the Football Clichés podcast. Indeed. It sent shockwaves through the uh, the Clichés universe. But it was very swiftly confirmed, right, that his, his his new club... (laughs) <laughs> Greatest Hits Radio, he'll be taking Popmaster with him. <laughs> like his backroom staff. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of those, uh, you, in theory it should be fine, but you worry if it's a bit of a kind of Des Lynam ITV kind of situation. Mm, same, the same sort of theoretical elements, but it just didn't work. So maybe, maybe Yeah, I thought that. Are they allowed, what constitutes him taking it with him? Is is Are they allowed to use the same music? Are they just allowed to use the name? But they have to do Surely like Surely the new... music's going to change. He can't Jingle. own that. He might not uh, even yeah. own the name. He's well, going to have to call it, it something it might like, be... like Music Brains or something like that, isn't <laughs> it? No, but it... <laughs> music Brains, yeah. It, it Welcome might be... to Music Brains. <laughs> It's going to bog yeah. down into intellectual property chat. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's just a good gesture, a goodwill gesture. Mm. Thanks for everything, Ken. We'll let you have. We'll let you take Popmaster with you. No problem. I do suspect that it was as cordial as that. And the mid-range of angst, Nick, was that he he went there and then had to go back and renegotiate it, sort of raiding his old radio station for Popmaster, <laughs> like uh, I don't know Graham Potter going back to Brighton and taking all their players. So yeah, it it does seem like it was all. Fairly amicable. Some relative sadness out there amongst the BBC listeners. Um, Adam Keat wrote in, Nick, and said, uh, a minute's applause in the 31st second of the next Former Sins Corner as a tribute. <laughs> <laughs> a minute's applause in the 31st second. That would be a difficult one, but um, happy to introduce it to proceedings. Yeah. Would, would be a classy touch, wouldn't it? The classiest of touches. Hmm. This, this whole scene 
Dave did have a kind of transfery feel to it, and to the extent that he did indeed have a Greatest Hits Radio unveiling video uh, in which he speaks exactly like a footballer who's gone from a club he served really, really well to an upstart. <laughs> it's great. Greatest Hits Radio plays what it says it does. Greatest Hits. I love playing big tunes, big hits, lovely music. They just play football the right way. I hope people, when they hear the news, will say, sorry to hear you're going again, but maybe I'll try and find you and follow you wherever it is you're going. I've always felt that I've still got something to prove. Unfinished business. Over the last few years, I've done everything that it's possible. Taking it as far as you can. Great times. But it's uh, just time to try something a little bit different. Move abroad. <laughs> Everything's football, Dave. Everything. It's so good. The, uh, the only bit that doesn't quite work is him saying that he wants people to come and try and find him his new play. <laughs> you, you can't take the fans with you, Ken. No. The Radio 2 faithful will have to remain Radio 2 faithful, surely. I, I would have liked to have heard, um, when I heard Greatest Hits Radio were interested, it was just a no-brainer. But other than that, <laughs> that, was, that was almost flawless. The thing is, though, these days, people don't follow radio station. The kids, they like to follow, they, they support <laughs> presenters. Yes, yes. <laughs> tremendous, tremendous. If you thought we were going to kick off Meza Holodnicks right now, you're mistaken because we have an adjudication panel to get through first. Um, the only issue on the lips of the footballing nation quite frankly, so to speak. There's no point being wry about this whatsoever. It's about the sex noises on the BBC's pre-match coverage of Wolves versus Liverpool. Simple as that. Um, Dave, a huge production decision we had for this. Do we play sex noises on the Football Clichés podcast, even third-hand ones? I think we've had more explicit material on, to be honest, than, <laughs> than this in the past. Really? So, in terms of our uh, profanity... At times, okay, fair enough. So I think it's I think it's all right. Yeah, fair enough. Um, well, let's let's play the first instance of it and uh, let's appraise it in the way that we would normally do football coverage on mainstream TV. You can win the game. I don't think there's enough experience in the team. Okay. Right, well, we'll find out shortly. Uh, we've an FA Cup winners only policy in the studio tonight, and I don't know who's making that noise, but so Alan Shearer is on the commentary gantry alongside um, Steve Bauer. Um, Alan. Um, it's toasty in this studio. It's a bit noisy as well. I don't know if somebody's sending something on someone's phone. I think it's, it's a joke. I don't know whether you heard it at home, but um, how's it on the gantry? As many people have pointed out, Nick, dealt with incredibly professionally by the boy Lineker. Consummately, I think, yeah. There was the, the, uh, the little look to the pundits as if to say, which one of you has left mm. their phone on near a mm. microphone? But other than that, a little, you know, a slight, very slight little bit of flustering in the, um, yes. uh, as he went over to Shearer. But other than that, you know, top marks. Hey, Dave, it could be quite empty sentiment for us to say, oh, we dealt with it really well, as if that matters in the grand scheme of things. But if you consider just how unprecedented and how unexpected those scenes would have been, of all the calamities to befall a live football broadcast, that one, um, apart from a kind of, incredulous giggle at one point uh, I'm amazed how how relaxed he remained it was amazing yeah and I think I mean look that's live TV yeah. <laughs> anything can happen folks at any time yeah <laughs> finally we're living up to that to that um, but it, it was cliche. it was it was it was what was slightly slightly weird in that clip was that I don't think Alan Shearer could hear yes the, the full extent of the noises so he was completely stony faced Maybe that was his. Maybe that was his way of dealing with it. I'm just. I'm just not. I'm just going to block it out. Mm. Single-minded, as all great goal scorers should be. <laughs> yes, um, but of course, um, where things got really complicated, and once the problem had been established, or at least the problem they knew existed, but they didn't know what the explanation was, they had to carry on broadcasting, and it just got to weird levels of professionalism. I thought. Uh, Reading, didn't you? you, you... You kept them up last season, did a brilliant job there. How difficult is it to keep that going and build on momentum as a manager? Well, I think it's tough because, um, especially with us, we've got, an, we've got an embargo at our club, so it's hard to build and hard to bring in other players. But if you look at Lopetegui's done, he's brought some really good top-class players. You know, they're playing, as Danny Murphy said, they're playing some really good attacking football. And it's always hard to keep doing it year after year after year, as we're seeing with Liverpool at the moment. You know, it's hard to keep doing it, keep doing it. <laughs> Just... 
didn't break stride talking about transfer embargoes. It's amazing. I mean, it could have been so easy, Nick, to fall into the trap of constantly addressing and saying, we don't know what's happening. And they, <laughs> maybe they could have owned it to an extent, but no, just carry on. Paul Lynch uh, just absolutely smashing through it. I liked how he, he said... He referred to Danny Murphy <laughs> next to him. I don't know. He said, rather than just saying, oh, Danny said, it was Danny Murphy said, like people didn't know who it was uh, sitting next to him. But yeah, it had very strong like outside broadcaster being distracted by wacky teenage boys behind them yeah. vibes about it. Yeah. Just carry on, talk a bit louder and stare straight ahead. I hesitate to use all sorts of phrases here, but um, the way they wrote it out, Dave, was um, uh, ever <laughs> did, didn't mean to. That, that was Lene, the phrase I wanted Lene to use. There's, there's no Lene, innuendo here. Lineker took care of all of that at halftime, don't you? Yes, know, yeah, um, yeah, certainly um, took that to within an inch of its life. But I did wonder at the time, Dave, just how the news machine would handle this because, you know, football, mm. the football news cycle is is very repetitive. It's the same old stories and the headlines tend to be quite identicate. But for this situation, what on earth were they going to do? Let's run through them. The Guardian. BBC apologises for pornographic prank during <laughs> FA Cup football coverage. If I'd said that headline to you two weeks ago, four years ago, and you were living in New Zealand or something, um, what on earth would you think had happened? Well, that's written as if the BBC themselves have played a pornographic prank. <laughs> have they got, like, somebody from BBC Three to like come on and ambush the set midway through or something. Ill judged. Yeah. 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 Nick, I would have gone for um sort of uh, I don't know, mischievous away fans with a with a blow up doll uh, <laughs> behind the perspex screen behind uh, an unwitting yeah. Danny Murphy. Yeah, or maybe a repeat of the uh, the famous dildo in the ear kind of thing. Yes, of course. Mm. Of course. Maybe there is precedent for this. I guess elsewhere it was kind of dealt with, with Quite textbook stuff, Nick. Uh, Daily Mail went with Lineker left red-faced after porn noises, capitals, played over BBC's coverage of Wolves' FA Cup clash with Liverpool. Red-faced does actually work here. It's not that, you know, it isn't something they've done wrong and they've offended somebody. This is something where he would be genuinely embarrassed to be in that situation. Red-faced works. Was he red-faced? He, he wasn't, that. That's I, I the thing. He, yeah. he was so, so consummate. That's fine. That I'm, not, I'm not sure he was... Turn red. No, well, no, but I don't know. He did, was, was he even that... Uh, embarrassed by him. I suppose he was a little bit he did have a sort of the smile of oh god I don't know what's going yeah. on here so yeah I'm, I'm having that I think a lot of outlets Dave struggled with the actual phrasing of the of the noise itself we had uh, porn noises of course most people went with porn noises Expre- the Express went with Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer left stunned as awkward sexual noises play over BBC coverage. <laughs> there isn't a way to describe this without sounding like a 12-year-old boy, is there? No, I think, I mean, yeah, porn noises, you, sh- you should know what porn noises are, surely. You, sh- you should get it from that. <laughs> I, suppose you, I suppose you have to introduce a kind of cartoonish element yeah. to this, because it, it obviously was quite over the top. So, uh... I mean, the Express are very aware of their readership. If anywhere's gonna, if any, if any readership in the in the land isn't isn't going to be familiar with porn noises, I think it's the I think it's the people that read the Daily Express. Finally, uh, the Liverpool Echo Nick went with BBC issue apology after Wolves versus Liverpool sex prank, as Gary Lineker can't resist joke sex prank. I mean, it, it's, it's getting all... further and w- further away from the actual reality. I mean, that could mean anything. Yeah, sex prank is very like confessions of a milkman kind of thing. Yeah, isn't it? sex prank is like as if two people were shagging in the background of the scene or something, like on or, the pitch. Or my, miming coitus or something. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, something a little bit less than that. Yes. Anyway, further correspondence from our listeners on this um, are genuinely hallowed correspondence. Um, Edo seventy five says, I wonder if anyone can find the actual scene similar to what you achieved with the three lions contribution. <laughs> Get that People. bloke on TikTok on it. Yeah, <laughs> he's going to spend the next week scouring Pornhub. Yeah. Anyone else think that um, like Gary Lineker obviously tweeted a picture of the the offending phone that had been planted? Mm. Anyone else think that it looked like it was an old model of phone to the point where I thought, could that that doesn't look like the model of phone that could like play out mm. porn slash sex noises yeah, of that exactly. clarity? It looked like one that was only capable of polyphonic ringtones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it was I think it's a phone from the sort of sort of between era. Right. Um, ringtones yeah. are are older than people probably think actually, but yeah, it looked like either a drug dealer's phone or it looked like a um phone used in a film that triggered a bomb. 
yes. when they found it. it yeah. Was yeah, just yeah, about yeah. glamorous enough for either of those two things. Am I right in thinking that this incident has been claimed in, in the same way that a rogue state would claim responsibility for a terrorist incident? Somebody yeah. has claimed that they're responsible for this. Isn't it, sorry to, again, cricket into the thing, isn't it the guy who, the, there was a guy who invaded the, the pitch dressed in full like cricket whites, Jarvo, I believe his name was. Mm. Um, and uh, I think the, like the first time he he tried this the banter boys kind of a, oh what a legend look at him on the on the field and then he like just did it again and again and again by the mm. by the point where by the, the fourth time everyone was just going to just stop it you tedious ballad yeah you can't do this again you definitely can't have any repeat of this I mean I don't think Pugat would have handled it quite as well on ITV that's all I'm saying I think I think he would have struggled with it I don't think he would have had the natural slickness for it but um, uh, Andrew WM writes in Dave says that the big winners from this will be football's funniest moments and other blooper clip shows I'm sure we all can't wait to hear what Dean Gaffney has to say about it all <laughs> I do I do worry about what you just said actually I, I worry about a, a a string of copycat incidents <laughs> <laughs> is, is this is the next? kind of is this the kind of thing that you know if it happened circa 2011 would have would have there would have been a, a Lineker's sex phone Twitter account or something? Yes, yeah. yeah it's, it's hard to know what to, what to pin it on yeah. for this particular Twitter parody account. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the people in question, I don't know. Finally, though, Nick, it, it did make me realise. Finally, in football, something actually X-rated. <laughs> but then, yes. of course, we, we couldn't see it. So, is it still X-rated or is it just like twelve? I think it's... you can only you can only hear them. So that's not that not that pornographic, is it? No, I mean, de- definitely would have inspired awkward conversations for parents watching with young children. Primetime BBC One. Yeah, tens of millions of people potentially tuning in. Now, I did say this was unprecedented, Dave. Maybe I am stretching it too far because um, as recently as 2013, um, popular radio station Talk Sport had a segment called Porn or Bjorn, where mm. li- people had to call in and guess whether the sound being made was a tennis player or someone having sex. <laughs> And that was after the watershed, though. Oh, yeah. Right, after 10pm. Yeah. yeah, that's very after 10pm, isn't it? That's the sort of where the content mill runs dry a little. Mm. Yes, indeed. Anyway, enough of that. It's time for Mesut Harland Dicks with the listeners. Now, just to tantalise you even further, before we get stuck into this, I didn't realise um, the potential tension that could arise from Mesut Harland Dicks, the listeners. There was a pre-MHD game of opinions among two of our listeners. Uh, these two contributions were just minutes apart. By the way, Nick, first up, Michael Gray wrote in, said, absolutely adore a set of fans, preferably away, wildly screaming for a handball decision that isn't given. The other set mockingly shouting handball for every touch thereafter. It gets better the longer it goes on. OK, I can see where the joy might come from here, Nick. Seems fairly classic. Adam Gray wrote in just moments later, Dave. One I can't stand is when one set of fans appeal for handball, which isn't given, then followed by shouts of handball from the opposition fans for about the next 50 touches of the ball. Very divisive issue, it seems, amongst the Grey family. <laughs> Hang on, is it's this... Like the a, Merseyside a, derby. <laughs> is, this a, is this a plan? Is this a setup, or, or do you think this is a genuinely something that they have discussed? Or just a very common just, surname, I would, I would yeah, have thought. Probably, yeah. They're not going to talk to each other for days afterwards, are they? <laughs> Sunday dinner's going to be awkward, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> very good, very good. Right, let's get stuck into our listeners' loves slash fascinations of football. First up is Ander Venturi Ward. My footballing fascination for MHD is the fact that whenever I'm watching a match with someone who isn't really all that arsed about football and a player scores a beautiful goal with the weaker foot, I can't resist the urge to inform the poor innocent bystander sat in the room with me of how unbelievable this feat is with the sort of pathetic enthusiasm a child might inform the parents that Father Christmas has been. So, I mean, Hyungmin Son's left foot has caused many a family member to sort of look up, you know, with false interest and go, oh... Really? His left foot, you say? Oh, nice. Uh, more times than I would care, care to imagine. Now, Nick, this taps into a kind of wider thing I've had with watching football on the telly, in and around people who don't like football. There is a certain level of intrigue that a football match reaches, mostly your own team, but not necessarily always, where you feel you have to explain what's happening to a non-football carer and why it's so dramatic and why they might even be remotely interested. There's obviously, it's obviously sort of elevated excitement levels that feels like you have to share it. I am very familiar with the the, the concept. I'm not sure that um, that's not the foot he usually kicks the ball with is quite... <laughs> I would say that doesn't hit the bar, does it? Reach well, the bar, not, sorry. I don't think it's quite... I don't think that would draw in 
my my partner who's not very interested in football but occasionally will you know say something that does pique her interest i don't think some sort of scoring with his with his left foot would be and you know after all he's he's basically two-footed these days so you know it's it's even less interesting i feel like they would ask can't they use both feet <laughs> they, can't, they can't score with both what they have a weaker foot but they're professional footballers i think you probably end up down that you might do avenue. yeah yeah Quite a topical actual suggestion, this, Nick, because um, when my wife came into the living room about 20 minutes into the Wolves versus Liverpool game, I couldn't wait to tell her <laughs> about the events of the build-up in the studio. But I, I thought to myself, how on earth am I going to introduce this? And I, I went with, you are not going to believe what happened in this game. It's incredible. And then went on to explain it. And she did indeed find it quite astonishing. So uh, so maybe that's the that's the high bar for this sort of thing. I mean, an extremely high bar, as we've discussed. <laughs> like that, that, that is worthy. Yeah, and, and that sufficiently non-football-y... That's a general news item. It's a front page story for me, not a back page. Player scoring with a weaker foot is definitely not qualifying. Um, Sex noises in the BBC pre-match build-up, almost too good for this sort of thing. Mm. I put it to you, Nick Miller, that the mid-range element of this might be something like an absurd Champions League comeback where the situation is so easy to explain to someone who doesn't like football, but... in the process of explaining to them, that's how you get over it. That's how you sort of manifest it in your mind. Go, we oh, are bloody hell! How great is this? Explaining it to someone who didn't care about it previously. Yeah, I, I think the the certainly the the sex noises thing would feel unsatisfying because it wasn't anything to do with the game, and you're not you, you're trying to you sort of trying to you're not trying to draw them into that that wouldn't draw them into watching football on the off chance so that it kind of happened again I've definitely tried the um, you know this reminds me of Exciting Game X thing which and I, I don't know whether it's um, my lack my sort of bad delivery or the people that I'm talking to just genuinely having no interest <laughs> at all but it never really lands or it doesn't really land in the kind you're just of adding, in- you're just adding to the information that they don't understand though surely yeah, you just you you don't you never really well. I never really managed to get across how uh, exciting that that game was. So I, um, I usually go with like interesting personal facts about this player yes. from off off the field kind of thing. The only time I can really remember doing this is when I was watching the Brazil Germany World Cup semi final, the seven one. Ah. And I think like the fourth or fifth goal had gone in. The moment where it became properly like, oh my God, what is going on here? I remember beckoning my uh, housemate into the room who was just, I don't know, making dinner or something. Had no interest in football whatsoever and like tried to explain the gravity of the situation. Yes. There's a certain scoreline after a certain period of time that that it passes the threshold that you have to tell someone. Yeah. Yeah, because I was on my own as well. So I, I sort of needed to share this moment. It's four nil already. Four nil already. Yeah, I know. World Cup semi final. It's in Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the man crying. Did, did and, and did did that land, Dave? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think they were they were sufficiently intrigued. Yeah, that's a good case study for it. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, excellent start. Thank you, Ander, for that one. Next up. Scott Drayton. Hey guys, so my football love are combined starting 11s, specifically how they piss everybody off. So you have the first wave of outrage, which is the reaction to the injustices in the clearly flawed system, especially when you start to consider formations and how form is rated against overall class. And then you have the outrage to the outrage after that, which is brilliant. But I'll carry on anyway and I'll continue to read them. And by the way, the North London derby is definitely the most obvious combined 11 fixture. Nick, let's deal with the first issue here. The North London derby is the most combined 11 fixture of all time. I don't know why it is. I don't know if it's got something to do with the intricacies of their particular rivalry, but it does feel like it's the one that would enrage... I don't think it's about enraging people. I think it's about being sort of a reasonably finely balanced rivalry in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, that's the key, I think, because you you need it to be ideally ideally a local rivalry, although Manchester City and Liverpool or whoever will... or Manchester United and Arsenal would would qualify as well. Yeah. But yeah, the 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 crucial part is is kind of reasonably well balanced teams because otherwise it just gets you know someone says oh it's all Arsenal players or something. And it's, yeah, you know, that, that's what I was going to say. Fun. I well, I, it can be used for nefarious purposes. This I I remember seeing Danny Mills on Sky Sports News ahead of what I, I think was Manchester United against Liverpool. Correct. A few years ago, and he chose an entire eleven of Liverpool players under the heading "Combined 11 and knew exactly what he was doing. I found the footage of this. It is, it's all over Twitter in, in so many different forms. He plays incredibly straight, Dave. Mm. Like yeah. there, there is no. 
I mean, I mean, of course, only Danny Mills perhaps could pull this off. Only he and then at centre back, I've got Virgil van Dijk, and then next to him, Joel Matip. <laughs> in the end, he stops picking them one by one, and then just puts the midfield and forwards in all together. It's actually quite funny the way he just goes, yeah, just the, the whole front three, really, and then backs it up by just saying, yeah, Manchester United have been rubbish. They've just been rubbish. Liverpool won eight in a row. Like they're, they're just so much better. I, I mean, I quite fine. like it. I do quite like it. I mean, no. Danny Mills could be a bit of a, an acquired taste, to say the least. But uh, I think this is what he's good at. Like, I think, I think, I think, I think, and I think, sort of, whether or not he was just trying to troll Manchester United fans, which as a Leeds player, maybe he was. But yeah. I, I, I'm all for undermining the concept of the uh, of the combined eleven because yeah, it's I, ridiculous, really. Well, I mean, the concept gets undermined all over the shop. I mean, whilst D- Dave is right, Nick, that, that the core concept of this, either overtly or surreptitiously, is to boil piss as many people would put it. But, I mean, the, the Danny Mills example is a bit of an outlier. Generally, you you try and find a bit of a mixture just to keep things interesting for the neutral, at the very least. But as with all these kind of exercises, I don't know, like pre-match ratings, for example, there's always some tiny compromise that needs to be made for some reason that, un- again, undermines the whole concept, like shoehorning in a well-known but underperforming player from one of the teams just to keep it interesting because it's a big name. The whole thing is fundamentally flawed. You do it properly or you don't do it at all. You, you're, you're kind of thinking, well, I mean, that right-back isn't actually better than <laughs> yeah, the other no. right-back, but the other the, the whole defence is Liverpool for this I one, so I probably need to, yeah. yeah. David, beyond all this, is it fair to say that anyone who does get rattled by a Sky Sports News pundits combined 11 is a genuinely pathetic human being? Uh, I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, yeah, obviously we're we're joking a bit, but like, as we said with like Danny Mills, just don't take it too seriously. It's an obvious, stupid thing that the, us in the media do to either get, just to chuck out a bit of content ahead of a big game. Don't worry about it. We shouldn't underestimate the, the pull of content, Nick. Content needs to exist. And ahead of large games such as Manchester United versus Liverpool, these sorts of things need to happen. There are more spaces to fill. Yeah, I mean, but at this stage, you you kind of you almost ahead of a big game. You're almost thinking if it gets to Friday afternoon or something, you think I haven't seen a combined eleven yet. What's 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 going on in the media? Why? Where, what are they doing? This is a staple part of the build-up. This felt like a um, a fairly mainstream fascination slash irritation. But um, the next one might be a little bit more niche. This is from Matthew Cr. He says centre circles functionally pretty trivial. Any game could quite easily be played without them, but aesthetically vital. Dave, how do you feel about this? If if one day you turned up for Sunday League and there just wasn't a centre circle, do you think you could play? I feel like I couldn't. Well, I don't know. Sunday Beautiful. League is different. Cause I, I, mean, I think I've played on a few pitches where you can barely see the lines. So mm. it's not completely... But you know they're there. You know you're concept. playing on a reasonably regulation football pitch. And that's enough, right? But if, yeah. there, just, if there simply wasn't a centre circle... You'd feel naked, wouldn't you? I don't think I would. I think I'd be okay. <laughs> I think I'd be all right. Fine. I, the lines are important, obviously, because in terms, not, not just for the game, but just in terms of your sort of spatial awareness. Because like, if you ever play on like a five-a-side pitch that's also a netball pitch and also mm. a hockey pitch and there's like three the sets of different coloured lines and, and you that's don't shit, know... isn't it? It is Yeah, shit. yeah. It's awful. It, and Nick, is there a worse feeling in known civilization than playing football... And thinking you've run the ball out of play, but it turns out it's the line inside the football pitch. Or, conversely, thinking you've kept the ball in play, but it turns out it's actually not the line you were thinking of. Could it be worse than that? I don't think it could be. Uh, no, absolutely the worst <laughs> worst thing of all time. I mean, maybe this is just me, but feel self-conscious enough when I, when I play football. You don't want an extra thing to yes. make you feel silly. A five-side player of my level, anyway, gets thrown off by even the pitch being a little bit too wide or the goals being a little bit too big or something yeah. like that yeah. where, where, the, where I play five a side it's it's just right the, the pitch is about the right length about the right width for you know five a side the goals are about right and it's a pain in the ass to get to where mm. I play but I keep going I think almost or, or, or almost entirely because the dimensions of the pitch are right and I, I, anything else would throw me off I am obsessed with this uh, completely. I was talking about this in the office to someone yesterday because we, tr- we were trying to book a pitch to play yeah. five a side with, with colleagues. And in central London, there is just a dearth of appropriately sized five a side pitches. Once you get out of London, you get to your, your goals and your power leagues and your sort of where they've got space. Great. 
it's you've got various different sides of pitches. In London, in London, it's you, a rogue, you, isn't it? It's it's a school playground here, a leisure centre there, tucked away, squeezed into the narrowest that's space. Modern development for you, like if you're looking <sighs> at a new build flat these days, that it's going to be open plan. Like, that's a fact. <laughs> so like a, a penalty area that's like, like a massive semicircle, which is no use to anybody. Should yeah. be just make it a rectangle, like a normal penalty <sighs> area. Why should it, it be a hockey in. style one? I know. I refuse to play on, on five-a-side pitches that are too small. It's just yeah. stupid. Really annoys me. In terms of uh, sledgehammer to peanut ratio, Dave, do you think centre circles are the most unnecessary thing in football? What purpose do they solve? Not encroaching at kickoff. That's I'll, it. I'd, well, so presumably that was their original purpose, right? Is it 10 yards from in the same way that the, the, the D is from the penalty spot sort of thing. Brought in to, to clamp down on rampant kickoff encroaching. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've got to do something about this. The game's ruined. People are going to be turned off. They're going to go watch rugby instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the referee has ordered that the kickoff be restarted, actually. <laughs> um, imagine, imagine if kickoffs were to VAR restarted. Straight away. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but actually, what, what is interesting about the centre the center circle is what it's become more use, useful for yeah. and that in, to my mind is two things one is telling somebody where somebody hit a long shot from if they like really just inside the centre circle yeah, yeah. Just, it, it's, it's good for sort of position you know or, or they you know, talking about a, a situation it's a good marker it was yeah. just on the edge of a centre circle inside the opposition's half and the other one is minute silences or applauses Ooh, what would we yes. do without that yeah. Oh yes, actually, yeah, good point. Nobody would know where to stand, Nick. Exactly. I've got one other one, which is um, it, it, very specifically when a, a team has an old and not particularly mobile central midfielder, and, and this kind of applies to like, like a, a five-a-side game where someone mm. old and really skillful plays as well. They control the game, and they didn't need to leave the centre circle. Didn't leave the centre circle. Also applicable to sort of lazy Sunday League referees as well. Yeah. Like, didn't even leave the centre circle, but oh yeah, no, but yeah, but. Always technically brilliant and unruffleable as well, Nick. Yeah, Jan Mulby is is mm. the the one the the man I've got in my head. There was a guy who used to play on Hackney Marshes, Dave, called the Fridge, <laughs> and he was about upwards of 16, 18 stone, ill-fitting kit, and he he fit that he fit that criteria. He he. He didn't leave the centre circle, but you just couldn't get the ball off him. It was a, there was a phone box situation as well. You wouldn't be able to get the ball off him in a phone box. Um, but in a kind of in a way, I'd quite like to be that kind of footballer because the the energy you have to expend to be brilliant is so low. It must be a nice feeling. Yeah. Because you are, if people would size you up before the game and think, oh, he's not going to be much to deal with, is he? Mm. Unless, unless of course, you're well-versed in this particular situation where, conversely, you, you might worry more. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Christ, he must be great. Look yeah. at the size of him. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the kind of footballer that I, uh, in my sort of more, I don't know, arrogant moments, I think I am. Because uh, uh, you just you can kind of adjust to your circumstances, and you think, well, what kind of football footballer can I be? And given my stature, you kind of think, yeah, I could I could be that guy. I could be I could sit there spraying passes all around. But then when like the third pass goes over the fence, you think, yeah, no, but maybe I'm not that guy. I mean, a lot of people might think. Dave, that it's kind of it's a physical limitation. They, they couldn't move quickly, so they sort of they they learned to play brilliantly. I th- I think it, I think that might be the wrong way around looking at it. I think it's like Neo in the Matrix. It's just a state of mind when the, when the ball just becomes I don't know part of you. And you're, <laughs> you're dodging the bullets of opposition players, and it just it, it becomes it becomes effortless, and that's it. That's just a state of Matrix style football. I just think it's a a, a pure case of you never lose it. Yeah. If you had it, you never lose it, no matter what. There's also it's a kind of cerebral element to it as well. You know, I don't have to do like crass things like running around. Yeah, it is I can just running, isn't it? it yeah, I, I can just sit there and control the game. I, I, I'm, I'm playing football with my mind, not with my uh, my lungs or feet or whatever. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Right then, welcome back to Mesut Harland Dicks with the listeners. We've gone through our three footballing fascinations and now it's time for our hive mind of footballing irritations. First up is from Alex Nuttall. Hi guys, my irritation is when a team's recent results are given in the format WWLDL. When I read it, I don't know whether it's going most recent to longest ago or moving forward in time. And it seems to change depending on where you look. I don't know whether it includes all competitions or just the league. There's no context and it's just, has a team been winning or losing? Which doesn't help me and annoys me. Nick, I have to confess, I get annoyed by the same thing. Am I supposed to read left to right or right to left? What's the standard? What is the standard? I mean, surely it should be most recent game is towards the right. No? Yeah, it should be right. Chronologically... Yeah. The, the furthest away game is on the left and the nearest yeah. one on the right. But is that is that most commonly used? Or, I mean, why should, uh, why should we assume this is the case? Someone should tell us. But then, but also, that would mean that you'd be reading right to left, wouldn't it? Uh, I suppose if you're, pretend, if you're telling the story of the last five games, then you're starting at the furthest one away. If you're which saying makes it's sense. the most recent five games, then the first one should be the most recent. That's that's what it means. Which exactly. is where the issue is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it should read left to right chronologically, shouldn't it? You know, this is one of those things that I I hadn't thought irritated me before, but after doing this, it is going to irritate me. <laughs> that is the fringe benefit of being on God. Mesut Harland Dicks for sure. Damn it! Um, but yeah, so in summary, Dave, it's not immediately useful to the naked eye, but what it does do, and perhaps only in the build-up to a game involving your team, a crucial game involving your team, it's Enough, assuming that the results aren't quite starkly contrasting enough between the two teams, it's enough to strike fear into you in the nervous big build-up to a game. Because these are the margins involved. All you do is look, you see one block of green in your opponent's previous mm. five games. And like, oh, fuck, that's it. That's it, yeah. they're in form. Bollocks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but then being the football fans that we are, the other way around, they've, they've lost five in a row. They can't lose six in a row, surely. It's all it's set gonna up. Turn. It's going to turn at some point. This is, actually, this, is, this is actually a really good kind of example of niche football fan paranoia, Nick. The idea that your team are always the team that play shit teams back into form. Classic, classic Team X. They never make it easy, do we? Etc. Yeah. and so on. It is a bit of a, it's become a little bit of a social media thing now, where like club f- fan accounts will be like Norwich lost their last eight in a row away from home. 
Enter Watford. Enter. <laughs> 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 well, is it is it a kind of is it a hold my beer territory or, or something? That, you know? yeah. yeah, celebrating your team's ability to implode. Uh, I mean, in some forms, it's charming. After a while, tough. You just suffer like the like most of us have to. Yeah, but it's but but it's fine. It's fine when it's when it's like Watford or Forest or something like that. But when it when when it's like oh, classic Arsenal or classic. <laughs> You know, the, the classic, you know, Manchester City or something like that. Mm. No, what's wrong with you? We've, I know we've been, we've have done this before, and this is kind of very much for my sins territory. But <laughs> it, the, the, that bleeds into this as well. It does. This is a very important but tiny component of this. But I've got, uh, you know, having discussed this now, Dave, I'm at the point where I feel like it's almost deliberate that they don't tell us whether it's left to right or right to left. Because to an extent, is it that important? I suppose it is. I mean, you want to know if, if, if they've got a green block far to the left or right, you want to know if, it's, if they're in form mm. or not. But largely speaking, it's just a mass of form and that's it. You that's should be able... Yeah, I mean, exactly. You should be able to get a reason... Five, is, five games is enough of a spread for you to get your head around it one way or the other. Um, Alex Nuttall, thank you for this. Um, I'm sure lots of people are screaming into their phones saying, what are you talking about? Of course it's left to right, but I don't care. If it was if it confused me enough, then I'm convinced it's confused but, at least 50% of the listeners. But I'm population. still confused. Have we decided whether it is left <laughs> no. no. Do we know? No idea. Next one is from Tom Barnaby. I dislike when there's a skills compilation video and the player does a good bit of skill, but then is clearly about to lose the ball like, after they've nutmegged a fullback or something, and then they shank the cross woefully out of play, and the video cuts out and moves on as if they didn't just lose possession. This is um, this is quite a common theme, uh, Nick, in in YouTube kind of skills goals compilations, is that they, they they kind of pad it out quite justifiably, understandably, with bits of incredible skill that. Don't just have no end product, like a terrible end product. And you think, you can almost see the deliberation going on there. Should we put this in? We have to, because it was good in the build-up. Yeah, and the, the, but there, there were also uh, some where they, they cut the end product off and you get to, like, the fourth, you know, mazy dribble down the down the wing and there's, you say, well, I, haven't, I haven't seen this bloke actually cross the ball or pass the ball yet. Some Something's fishy here. So yeah, it, it it is a and you you can get you can go down a sort of fairly old man rabbit hole here. It's like you know, well the kids these days all they care about is nutmegs and stepovers and whatever else. But yeah, I, it is irritating. It's a really good example of this, uh, and it's perhaps the perfect storm for this phenomenon, Dave. Which is um, Robert Prozinetsky's time at Portsmouth. So he was there for a season, and the compilation of his work at Portsmouth is so reliant on sort of grainy second-hand filmed off a TV footage um, that there really isn't much to work with despite his obvious talent and there's um there's one passage of play at Fratton Park which again is filmed off a TV uh, and that's the only footage available of it is he's he does about five drag backs in a row horizontally across the pitch with one poor bloke chasing... I can't remember for the life of me who this guy was. He's like a strapping championship striker from the late 90s. I'm desperately trying to think of his name. But he's sprawling around on the floor. Prozanetsky's just doing at least three too many dragbacks to the point where it just becomes complete showboating. And then, after he's finished just completely wiping the floor with this guy, he then gives the ball away with a really simple pass. <laughs> and then, I think it's Bristol City, I'm not sure, then... Uh, then kick the ball out of play themselves. And the whole thing is a complete shambles. But I think this might be the most acute example of what we're talking about here. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it's like in the cell. Like, if it's just what you're trying to... With these videos, you just... If it is, if you're just saying this bloke is really skillful, then that's... It doesn't matter if he, uh, the end product is neither here nor there. No, you're right. It probably does burnish their reputation as a kind of maverick, you know in it for themselves situation but we, we've talked okay so we've established the editing side of this nick but maybe as consumers of these videos maybe there's a responsibility in us as well there's, there's a problem that this poses for us because i feel like these situations in skills goals compilation videos are a really true test of your kind of amassed footballing intellect because if you're watching a compilation of say either a lesser known player so someone who's just been signed by a big club but you didn't really know much about, or say a historical player who you hadn't really watched much of but knew were great. You're watching clips of them and your brain has to decide, are they going to fuck up at the end of this or is it going to be a goal? <laughs> and then there's a point of that clip where it gets too good and you think, there's no way he scored this because everyone would know about it. And, you think, and then it's like the shot goes wide or it's a corner. You think, aha, you didn't beat me. I've got it. <laughs> Well, I didn't. I mean, up until now, I, I didn't think that... Um, it will. 
Uh, well, I didn't think that w- watching uh, skills goals compilations was a competitive sport, but you, <laughs> you, you're competing against. I was the, freelance you know... for a while. You have to fill your time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I think it, it's an interesting point there you make about the whether it be a past player or a um, current one, and I think that's that's the difference here. I would agree with Tom, and I would get irritated by fans of of any club that use said compilations to suggest that the player they've signed is going to come in and be the next big thing and the answer to all their problems. If, if the evidence is there that this bloke is skillful but actually isn't contributing in any meaningful way to the match, just what are you doing? You can see it with your eyes. Whereas if you're watching a video of Robert Prozanecki from Portsmouth or whoever, you can appreciate in a different way. It doesn't matter that it, it, you're just appreciating this, the, the skillful element of the player and that's, that can be enjoyed. Okay. by anyone but I think if people watch these things and go oh this guy's oh have you seen it this guy's amazing but actually you're just not it's um, confirmation bias or whatever isn't it like oh, you're, right. just, you're seeing what you want to see yeah I use that phrase a lot without knowing what it means I have to say <laughs> it's, it's in the top three phrases I use without knowing what it means I have to say like flatter to deceive I don't, I don't know what it means but I do like using it but yeah okay yeah a rational train of thought there to end Tom Barnaby's entry let's get on to the third and final irritation of this month's listeners, Mesut Harland Dixie. It comes from Mohamed Amer. My not-so-obscure irritation is when refs delay a corner being taken to admonish a particular pair of players jostling in the box. Everyone knows the ref is there and there's a risk of a penalty if a defending team takes a player down, especially with VAR, but the refs do it at least once a match. Just get on with it, for God's sake. At surface level, Nick, this just feels like a sort of fairly mainstream refereeing gripe. But... It is it is kind of an odd situation to still be in in 2023. You feel like everyone would be kind of au fait with the situation by now. Yeah, it's just, it falls into sort of referee stamping their authority on games kind of thing. If they, It, it feels like they've got half an eye on the referee's assessor or something mm. who's oh, yeah. like, you know, you know, who's thinking, wow, there's some jostling going on in the penalty area it's there. He's got to get to grips with this. He's got to get, you know, he's got to get to... To, to grips with this, it, the, the the sort of more ni- the, the niche aspect of this that irritates me is the way that all referees beckon the two players over. <laughs> yeah, which isn't going to work on an audio medium, but the, it's always it's always this. So two fingers where we should remember this for the live show actually, Dave. Uh, yeah. Two fingers where ahead of and you bring them con- back into your face, don't you? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Where's the referee standing for this? How far could He's- you go? He's he's standing on the on the goal line where the six yard uh, where the where the goal line and the six yard oh oh right box acute angle of, then yeah it, oh, it, it right. intersect interesting I don't know if that's right Nick no <laughs> in, 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 in my, I'm glad you said it because I was gonna <laughs> in okay. my mind in my mind this is a situation where the referee would wade into a crowd of bodies oh, and clear the seat like sort of slightly clear the scene and and get those two players pretty much where they are. And he'd go in and then speak to speak to both of them. I think I think you're both right, and here's why. Nick, he would take the players out if there'd been a mid-corner infraction. So the corner was about to be taken, the ball was swinging in, and the referee'd stop play before the ball was kicked. So the, the game had essentially started in a visual sense, but there was some jostling, and he, wa- he wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to happen again. So he draws the players out. Now, Dave, he will do what you're saying when there's some sort of mid-range jostling that isn't a foul yet... But it looks like it, there may be if the corner is about to be taken. So he goes in and nips it in the bud. So he doesn't need to draw them out to, to single them out. He's going in there and saying, look, any of you, but you two specifically, don't fuck about. That's what they say. Usually sort of opposition player and goalkeeper, isn't it? That's the most sort of yeah, do the, this lad exactly. situation. Exactly. The, the, the player that's trying to stand right in front of the keeper and then the other player's trying to push him out of the way, that sort of thing. But... Uh, to, I do sort of agree with the point because it, it, I suppose the reason the referees are doing that is because they're sort of saying, look, I've, so they can then say, I warned you and mm. you still ignored me. But oh, do, they don't so satisfying as well. They don't though. need to be warned, do they? No. They know it. Yeah. It's Weird. the same. Mind you, game. that's quite a naive way of looking at it because footballers, yeah. you know, break the rules in all sorts of stupid ways all the time. And we could we could say that about a lot of them. But um, now we've covered the way that that lecture is delivered, Nick. I'm fascinated by the way that that lecture is received. Um, the two players in question tend to sort of, it's, it's quite, it's relatively affable. Is They tend to sort of go, yeah, fine. And they're sort of, yeah, sure. Okay, okay. And a, a visual kind of demonstration that they understand the information that's being taken on. It's a very weird transaction. 
and, and then after that, there's a sort of there's a, there's a weird couple of seconds where they're standing, they're standing close to each other. They're resuming their position. They're kind of close to each other, but not right together. And it's almost like a game of chicken as to who's gonna who's gonna do the first shove. So they just go straight straight back to what what they were doing before. You're right. It's Dave. It's really interesting to see when they lock horns again after the lecture because the it's usually I guess the defending player who has to both mark the player pre-corner and look at the referee to say, is this okay? This is all right, isn't it? And Yeah, but then the, but then the attacking player will also be looking at the ref going, ref, ref, yeah. hands. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very much a kind of, yeah, hands are out wide. I'm mm. doing what you said you, yeah, you told, yeah. told us to do, or I'm not doing what you told us not to do. It's a very specific facial look at this kind of, yeah, well, you know, exactly this is that. it. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, one of those, it's one of the things, actually, that I think about when I play Sunday League, in similar way to like how officious referees are with foul throws hmm. at, at Sunday League. I get, at, when I'm marking at a corner, I'll always be a bit nervous of that because, you know, your instinct is to get is to get touched tight or whatever and to try and yeah, wrestle with them if you have to. But I feel like the ref, they don't let you get away with as much holding as you, you see in the professional <laughs> game. You, you see them wrestling you each other to the you ground. You can't maintain that at Sunday League level. It's just, you just can't have it. There is one of the fundamental differences. You just you can't have that sort of low-level skullduggery going on. It's just like, don't do it. Don't do it. It's going to be a penalty. Amid this scenario of sort of semi-protesting, pre-protesting players, I guess is the best way of describing it, Nick, which Premier League defender are you picturing most vividly doing this? Current Premier League defender? Mm, not sure. For some reason, I had um, former Aston Villa defender Alpi in my head. <laughs> okay, <laughs> retro shit. Okay, I'm not cool. really. I don't really know where that came from, but I don't know, current... Current Premier League defender. No one, at, no one really at Man City. Van Dijk is too cool to yeah, do that kind he of is thing. Too cool. I've got Dan Byrne in my head <laughs> coming up against Harry Kane. Yeah. So I can see those two wrestling each other at a corner. But having a little bit of laugh, Maddox, they're sort of England teammates. I feel like there has to be more. Are they? Sort of, they're not, are they? You just, have you just awarded Dan Byrne his first England cap? <laughs> <laughs> a whole different game. I mean, even if he did, even if he had been called up to squad, does that make them teammates? He was, in the fi- was he on the list of 50 before yeah. the World Cup? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. There you go, um, counts. I'll tell you who I had in mind. I have. I had a former diligent fullback turned weirdly aggy captain figure, Cesar's Piliqueta. Oh, yeah. He's big on this. Yeah, he's big on that's... looking to the referee saying, is this got... all right? Is this fucking all right? I'm well, he's small, it. isn't he? So he's got to try and get yeah. every advantage yeah. he can. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's as furious. Small, small and uh, a relatively small man who's played at centre-back. So it feels like he needs to like you know assert his authority. Yeah. Mohamed, thank you for that one. That is, that is six absolutely stellar contributions this week. They were so good that we spent so long on them that we had about four or five that we just couldn't fit in. So they will be carried over till February, like the lottery. But don't worry, they were good as well. So uh, thanks people who delayed their voice notes. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks to you, Dave Walker. Thank you. Thanks to you, Nick Miller. 50 up. It's a proud moment. Um, Glad to have you. And uh, we'll be back on Tuesday. See ya. The Athletic.